Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. Our scripture lesson this morning will be taken from the book of Isaiah, the 28th chapter, beginning with the 14th verse. Will you listen carefully to these words of God? Now you arrogant men who rule here in Jerusalem over the people, listen to what the Lord is saying. You boast that you have made a treaty with death and reached an agreement with the world of the dead. You're certain that disaster will spare you when it comes because you depend on lies and deceit to keep you safe. This now is what the, the sovereign Lord says. I am placing in Zion a foundation that is firm and strong. In it I am putting a solid cornerstone on which are written the words. Faith that is firm is also patient. Justice will be the measuring line for the foundation, and honesty will be the plumb line. Hailstones will sweep away all the lies you depend on, and floods will destroy your security. The treaty you have made with death will be abolished, and your agreement with the world of the dead will be canceled. When disaster sweeps down, you will be overcome. It will strike you again and again, morning after morning. You will have to bury it day and night. Each new message from God will bring new terror. You will be like the man in the proverb who tries to sleep in a bed too short to stretch out on with a blanket too narrow to wrap in. The Lord will fight as he did at Mount Perizim and in the Valley of Gibbon. In order to do what he intends to do, strange as his actions may seem, he will complete his work, his mysterious work. Lord, help us to understand what this prophet is talking about as a way to live. And as we think this morning together, keep in mind that 20th verse where the prophet is talking about a proverb about a bed too short and a blanket too narrow. Now I have a feeling that in all probability Isaiah uh, was a very tall man or else he stayed in the same boarding house that I did. And he had to experience in all probability of what it means to be in a position uh, where that uh, you do not get a good night's rest. Now the, of course the prophet is not talking really about a short bed and a narrow blanket, but he is really talking about the relationship that the Jewish people, that God's people had to him to God. He is talking about an insufficient faith and a broken down religion. An insufficient faith and a broken down religion. A religion that will not keep a person's soul warm when the chilly breezes of life begin to blow across it. Or will not keep a soul calm uh, when the great storms of life uh, break across these souls of ours. Now this is what he's talking about. An insufficient faith and a broken down religion. Now, look with me 
at the picture that Isaiah gives to those people of long ago. And in as much as it gave it, he gave it to them, he gives it to us today. And I cannot think of anything any more necessary or any better for us to consider than this modern dime in which we live than what this man has to say to us today. But get a picture of this miserable situation. If I were trying to depict a miserable situation, I could hardly do better than to pick the picture and paint the picture in words that Isaiah did. Here, consider this miserable man or person. As he goes out from sunup to sundown in those days and work as hard as he possibly could in order to be able to make a living. And then when he comes to the close of the day, you would think that he has desired, that he has earned his rest and peace. And then when he comes in, he finds that, that the bed that he's trying to sleep in is too short for him. And so he really cannot stretch completely out or set completely up. And his knees are in his face most of the night. And then when the night cools down and becomes chilly, he reaches for the blanket to spread across himself to keep himself warm and find the blanket is too narrow. And I get the picture of an elephant trying to warm himself with a handkerchief. It just doesn't fit anywhere, you know. Well, we know something of what uh, this man is talking about. Uh, when we think about the situation that a person can be in, can be absolutely, absolutely miserable. But note something about the, this the insufficient faith and this broken down religion. It brings to us a lifestyle that is completely empty of joy. How many of us have a religion that doesn't give to us the joy uh, that is supposed to give to us? I have another picture within my mind that may even bring it closer home to us what this man is talking about. And we would consider we haven't moved this far away from the holidays where we had the table uh, groaning under the great burden of goodies that it held. Uh, where we had to roast turkey and roast beef and roast pork and, and mashed potatoes and gravy and, and dressing and, and perhaps the three different kinds of pie and four different kinds of cake and, and we come to the table and we have it all there and the last thing that's put on is the yeast bread. It smells so good. You know, here the table just piled up and we pull up to the table and here it's loaded down with all of these wonderful things to eat. And we pull up to the table and can't eat a bite. What a miserable position to be in. Now, folks, again, we're not talking about necessarily a table loaded with goodies. To make it more point, where in the world would you go to find happy people? Well, you know, if you would go to the other parts of the world, any country, go to Poland, and go to any country and ask them, uh, where in all probability the happiest people upon the face of the earth are and where they could go and be happy and those who want to leave their native country after being there all their lifetime would pick out the United States nine out of every ten would tell you they want to come to this great country of ours now the reason why that they think that because they know this is the land of plenty and we know it is too in relation to the rest of the world I can't walk into a food market with being absolutely struck uh, with the, the great variety of food that we have. I was talking to a man here not too long ago and he asked me a question, a businessman here within our city, 
And he asked a question, not for me to answer it at all, because he didn't give me time to answer it. He said, Preacher, how many truly happy people do you know? Before he gave, he gave me a chance to answer it, he just went on. How many happy people do you know? I do not know, as he said, one single happy person. And you would think with our tables the way that we have them loaded, and this, uh, this nation of ours and this country of ours, you would think that, uh, that there would be easy to find a very happy people. But notice the problem. Notice what the cause of the situation really is. And Isaiah puts his finger right smack on it. Because you see we drift at the same place that these people drifted of long ago. You see, the one thing that these people wanted more than anything else was security. Have you ever heard that word? Security. I got a call yesterday. A home was broken into and all torn up as they usually do when they break into it. And they've gone out, they've gone out now to replace all their locks with bigger and better locks. Well, there's nothing wrong with that really. And by security and more power. This is what we want. And so this is a mistake that these people have long ago made. You see, when Isaiah saw that the thing that they were really after and the way that they went about getting it, they decided that the way that we can have more security and greater power is make an alliance with all these other pagan people around us. And so that's precisely what they set out to do. And so they made agreement with this one and that one. And every time they made an agreement, they watered down a little bit more what was truly their great call. And they began to accept the pagan gods of those that they made agreements with. In order that they might be able to have the security that they thought that they needed. Now the tragedy of the situation could be seen precisely where Isaiah saw it. And he knew that when they began to make these alliances with these other pagan people and with the world, uh, that they had moved their place of emphasis from whence comes their real security, and that being God. And when they had made all of these treaties with all of the rest of the world, he realized that they had given up their first calling, and that was God. Now, folks, let's come home. Now, what is at the very basis of our drifting? What is the very basis of our, of our warding down our religion in order that we might be able to have more and what we think greater security? Is it not that we too come to the place where we find that we have an insufficient faith and our religion has broken down? We come and stand at the very same place that these people stood 6,000 years ago. And this man comes to his feet and he is saying to, the, to these people, and we need to hear it again and lodge it within our own heart and soul. There isn't any alliance that you can make with this world in which we live that will be able to give to you that which you need to have to be able to have the greatness of life. Only one can do that is, is God. And it doesn't make any difference how many clubs you belong to or how many parties you go to or how great your home or how beautiful your furniture is. All these things are important. But let's keep it in the right place. When the Jewish people began to shift their emphasis from the God that they served and the God that called them, the God that kept them, they were in serious trouble. There is not any type of agreement that you can make with this world that will give you a singing heart. Oh, 
for a day or two. And then it's gone. You see, if things would give to us what we really need and what we must have to really to truly be happy, we would be the happiest people upon the face of this God-given earth. A man just a few weeks ago, his daughter told me this story. Dying in Florida. No, in Texas, somewhere. And she flew out to Texas to see her father that she knew was dying. And the father had been able to accumulate a great deal of this world's good. And one of the last things, according to his daughter, that he said to her, he said, Honey, I have been able to accumulate all of this wealth. And he said, What good is it doing me now? He died before his time. What good is it doing me now? Isaiah is telling us that there's only one place and one place alone that you'll be able to anchor your soul. And you can anchor it here, and it's the only place upon the face of this God-given earth that you can do it to make this life make sense. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't make any difference how much we spread ourselves here or there, and how much we run to and fro, and how far we get, how early we get up, or how late we go to bed. We'll come to the place of where it is also said by one of the prophets that you go out and make your earnings and put them in a bag and find that your bag has holes in it. Saying the very same thing as Isaiah is saying here to his people of long ago. You see, dear friends, misery doesn't come by chance any more than happiness or peace does. It is the result of a way of life. And Isaiah is saying there's only one way and one way alone. And that is with God. That when you come to the place where you weaken your faith and you destroy your religion, there isn't anything left but misery. And oh, how miserable that can really be. Well, what can we do? What can we do in order to restore our joy of salvation? What can we really do to restore the joy of our salvation, if we had it and it slipped away. Or what can we do this morning to really, if we've never had it, to have our souls put in a position where they can truly sing? What can we do this morning? Is it something so difficult to do that it will take many hours to do it? Or is it something that we can do immediately in order to put ourselves in a position where these souls of ours can be restored or for the first time start on their way to peace and tranquility. And dear friends, I want to tell you we don't have to wait till tomorrow or tomorrow's tomorrow. It's not something we have to do over a long period of time. It is something that you can make up your mind about right now and immediately you set yourself in a position and put your feet upon a path that will lead you straight to this place. And it can be done whether you feel it within your bones or within your heart and soul or not. It will finally come to pass thing about it is we need to make these hearts of ours know that the time and place has little to do with what we're talking about this morning. Little to do with it. You know, it's not something tomorrow or the next day. It's not something that you'll find in California or in Arizona or down in Florida any more than you can find it right here, right now, on this cold, cool day here in this Ohio River Valley. Make your heart come to the place where it will know that this is the hour and this is the time and this is the place. 
that you can see truly the objective that you have before you. And that is that you are created in the image of God. I wonder how many of us really believe that we are a thought in the mind of God. And we were a thought in the mind of God before we became a reality here upon the face of this earth. Well, you are. It's tragic if you think anything else. And that we're here to glorify God. And we're here to help and be of assistance to our fellow man. And to develop ourselves into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, folk, I do not know of a better way to start than right here. And you have heard it from your youth up. But here is the steps to take to put your soul in a position where God can be the God that he needs to be to you and where your soul can know that God is truly your God. Now I've got two or three things to suggest to you. I would start my praying again. Now I say I would start my praying again. How many of us are faithful in our praying to God? You know what we do here? It is always, it's not that we set out to do it, we just drift into it. Now, the average person today within our society, and especially within our community here, you have about everything that you really need. And so you come to the place where you have in your thinking, well, I don't need to talk to God anymore. I really don't need anything else. And so you have a mind that tells you the only time that you pray to God is when you have a need. Well, that's only one way to do it. Thank God that is one way. Uh, but stay in communion with God. Talk to God in prayer. You don't have to be in some type of a formal setting. You can do it as you're driving down the highway. No one else knows that you're communing with God. Isn't it tragic that we break communion with God when we feel we have no need of Him anymore? Then I would read the Bible. It's almost a lost book among us, but how... Can God speak to these hearts and souls of ours the way that he would like to unless we read his holy word? How can we really put the Holy Spirit in position to really to, to affirm and confirm uh, these things, that thoughts that come to us from God's holy word if we never put our, position, our hearts and our souls in position to hear the word of God? The way that God will speak to us is reading God's holy word. Then there's another thing I would do, and you expect me to say this as a preacher, I'm sure. I would co commit myself to systematic, faithful church attendance. Now, <clears throat> how do you gauge a Sunday morning of worship? Did you gauge it because the preacher was talking about something that you were interested in, and he made it interesting? Or is here a place where we come and in the process of uh, singing and, and worshiping together and listening to the preacher that God is able to speak to his, through His Holy Spirit to you. And it may be in a subject that is completely different than what is being said from the pulpit. But here is a place where God has systematically been able to communicate with His people in such a way that confirm within their own thinking what they need to do in order to be the person in God's kingdom that He has called you to be. Now, folk, I don't care what happened. That is a good worship service. The sermon that morning may be so dry and so ill-delivered uh, that it was totally, as far as you're concerned, and word-wise and structure-wise, was completely meaningless. But I want to tell you something. If God spoke to you, it's worth it all.
And I want to tell you something. If he spoke to you and said you can do a better job than the preacher, I want you to know that's the Holy Spirit. And he's got something for you to do. Just stay with him. Just stay with him. Here is the place. Here is the place where God has promised to meet his people. That promise that was made years and years ago uh, to, to Solomon has never been broken. God has never turned it back and has never said that it doesn't apply. At his altar, when you can't meet God anywhere else, he has promised his people when you turn toward the altar, I'll be there waiting for you. Did you know that's still in existence? That's the reason we have an altar here. Here, I would commit myself to be more faithful to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I do. And if I did not belong to this particular body of the Lord Jesus Christ, I would, as soon as I possibly could, I would commit myself to them. I would commit myself. I wouldn't let my soul drift. I wouldn't let my soul drift. I would put it in a position where I would be committed with these people of God for better or for worse. And it's always for better. It's always that way. You see, you cannot move to God, or God will not move to you all that He has until you honor the best that you know. And when you begin to honor the best that you know, God's going to reveal Himself to you in many different ways. He'll reveal himself to you. Now when you come to the place. Like David. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. When the joy of your salvation. I'll tell you where it's going to come. It will come when you are sure of God. When you are sure of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that he is your savior. And that you are his person. You're going to come knowledgeable of the awesomeness of the love of God and you're going to know that God loves you within the pit of your soul. And then you won't worry about this bed being too short and the blanket too narrow. And you won't worry about this accumulation of wealth, whether or not you're going to be able to feed upon it or not because your soul is hooked in the right place. And when you come to the place where you know that God loves you, I'm going to tell you now what you can do. Now listen to this. This is really the bottom line of what we're all after. All of us. Here it is. When you know that God loves you, you can meet tomorrow without rebellion. You can meet loss without self-pity. You can meet adversity without finding. You can meet temptation without surrender. And you can meet death without fear. Now, folk, and that is the desire of your soul, and that is the desire of my soul, because that's the way God has made us. And there is that with us this very hour that can give to us that which these souls of ours are looking for. Dear friends, let me say to you, if there be one here this morning that does not have the joy of their salvation God intended, will you come and meet me at this altar as we sing this closing hymn. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of His words, finishing the work He started in making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven. 